Thank you. Hi, um, everybody, uh, and welcome. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm from Philadelphia. I am a gratefully recovering member of OA and recovering from compulsive overeating. Hi. You want to do your name? Yes, sure. I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater and food addict, and I'm from uh, Columbus and mostly South Jersey. So I just told Jeff I would step up and just start first, and um, I wanted to say um, I'm, yeah. well, actually, I had some notes, and I did say I, it really helps me to um, think of uh, some prayers to help set my intention or our intention and I really thought of the set aside prayer um, which I you know I learned in the rooms I, I uh, feel like um, you might have to help me with it I'm not sure I know it but it's something to, along the lines of help, uh, dear higher power let me help me set aside everything I think I know about recovery about that big book um, um, so that I may have like an open mind and and uh, you know and be able to learn and because when I, I get the honor of being like oh to be in this seat where it's like oh you have all this time you're supposed to talk about something I, I do feel like it's a little um, it's humbling because um, I just think we learn from each other. It, you know, a lot started from the big book, those people who wrote it and all, and it's just our experiences, and so I just wanna be open. I certainly don't feel like I'm an expert, but I really love um, learning more about the big book. And I did wanna um, also say that um, Jeff and I, uh, we talk uh, like an hour plus every week on the phone, and we read literature. And we went through, we read together the whole, um, you know, the first section. I guess the hundred, I forget how many pages, in the first section of the the big book. Um, you know, we read the whole thing. Um, we stopped like every couple paragraphs. Jeff always asks really good questions about like, you know, what do you think about this? Did you ever experience this and all? And I think it's really. Awesome that that's what we do in um, in uh, OA. You know, it's the it's the AA Big Book, but we do that because there's so much in it. It's sort of like the beginning, and um, we do it in our meetings like this. And I I just wanted to put out that you know it's been really great for Jeff and I. I feel like um, and so I suggested we kind of treat this like it's a little bit like it's our phone call on Monday mornings and even though you're here and we'll just like just talk because we just kind of read through it and talk um, another, and before like we continue into the big book um, we thought we should kind of uh, qualify a little bit and so I'll so I'm um, I've been I've been in OA for uh, ten and a half years um, I first heard about OA, or I first came to my first OA meeting like 20 and a half years ago, or 20 years ago. Um, I came for a couple of meetings and I just really felt like I was, it was like, I didn't really, um, you know, I was like, I'm not really sure about this. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm a compulsive eater. Why do they have to say that every time my name is Steven, I'm a compulsive eater? Um, it's, <laughs> you know, I just thought, that's so weird. It's like, you know, they're like, Kind of, it's like brainwashing, and I just thought all these things, and I just thought, um, you know, I, I, I can handle this food thing. You know, I have before. I can do that. And it was ten years later that I, boy, I realized, like, I just, 
I was just helpless over food. I, I just couldn't, I, I was just helpless over food. Um, so I did, you know, and then I came to OA, and then I was like, I really need help, and, and I'm so grateful <coughs> OA was here. Um, um, so I, that's, that's my qualification. You want to sure. take a turn? Sure. I'm, I'm, as I said before, I'm Jeff, a compulsive overeater and a food addict. Uh, I've been in OA for 28 years. It'll be 29 years uh, December. Uh, I have lost 90 pounds, but it's not about the weight. Uh, I've been abstinent for almost five years, uh, and I'm a relapse survivor. And every time I say that, it's like I'm thinking of that TV show where you're a survivor, you're on an island, and you're kicked off the island. Uh, and I've been kicked off the island, kicked myself off, a number of times for relapsing. Uh, and, you know, really it's a miracle that almost five years ago, after I attended my, I don't know, second or third big book weekend with folks we all know, um, that... Uh, Somehow or another, it clicked. I don't know why. I'm also a compulsive overthinker, so I want to figure out why it clicked all of a sudden. Um, but it was, it was through the big book that it clicked for me, uh, and I understood that I was not doing what I needed to do. Uh, and so uh, this is the longest period of abstinence that I've had in all these years in the program, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. And um, I'm grateful that I finally understood that I had to really study the big book. I mean, I would go to meetings. We had meetings 28 years ago where the big book was primarily used. Uh, we had our, you know, 1993 is when the original OA step book came out. And, um, but before that, uh, we would read the big book, and I, I, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I'm, I also have ADD, so I wasn't really paying attention anyway. Uh, but uh, it really, that's my miracle. And uh, hopefully, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty nervous. I, I know some of you folks, I go to meetings um, down here a couple times a week, off and on. Uh, but most of my meetings are, you know, up near Hamilton, which is closer to where I live, and then in, in, in Pennsylvania. That's how I know Stephen. And uh, so when I'm with new people, I, I get nervous. So I have to pray not to be nervous. So that's it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Um, I want to <laughs> uh, get into the big book, but I already want to like, respond to so many things that Jeff said. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I'm just, I just want to say, you know, I, I already thank Jeff for sharing his nervousness um, earlier because it really helped me because um, I just feel like I you know I we have really gotten to know each other I feel so comfortable and not nervous with Jeff and I just have to keep remembering it's like I think I could be with all of you people who I don't know so well it's like if I just had the you know if I was going to the same meetings and we've gone to the retreat together and, and all that you know I would you know so I just know it's just we haven't had enough time together so um, so let's, so the first uh, chapter of our chapters is the doctor's opinion. We pulled out some quotes together. Let's just start with the top one. Um, it was on page XXVI. Um, I have, uh, it's uh, believe, let's, well let's do the whole sentence. In this statement, he confirms that we, we who have 
suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So I, that, um, I guess, starts with this. Uh, uh, the doctor's opinion is that there's like, we are bodily different than or unique in our reaction to, in this case, alcohol, but for us, food. And um, that is definitely something, you know, that's been part of my experience in OA is that um, I had to really look at how my body uh, reacts to food. I did feel like, um, like doing like my food history and really looking at my life and how I reacted to food um, honestly and knowing that it's just like what is true about how I react differently. And I want to get right into this thing about um, the substances because um, I feel that uh, in OA I know a lot of people um, who feel that they respond to certain substances uh, such as sugar, you know, um, and I feel that I um, have really had to look at that in myself because I feel like I have, oh, I've definitely compulsively eaten sh a lot of sugar things to, uh, you know, huge amounts um, uncontrollably, but I don't feel like I'm triggered specifically by if I have something like with sugar in it, then I, I crave to have more, but it's like really important to look at where these cravings exist and um, I you know I, I I really looked at mine and I just wanted to just say this is my experience that um, uh, I felt like the hardest part was like stopping eating anything it could be all kinds of food groups you know vegetables fruits um, grains um, the heart one of the hardest places for me was this like ending a meal, I always would like, I want a, a little seconds, a little more. I don't know if you, some people say it's volume, because I didn't always like eat to be stuffed, but I just feel like there's this momentum to eating that I just like, I couldn't put an end to. It always had to be just a little more. Mo one of the most dangerous um, times for me was always just like, I, and I'm like a real foodie person, a, a chef, a cook, you know then putting the way the food, it's just like, I would just continue eating I, because it's sort of in front of me and I, it just was hard to stop. And I come to feel like that's my, like where my body is different is like I have a very low threshold to like, um, like my ability to stop <laughs> once I've started just like this act of eating, it doesn't, is not necessarily a specific, um, a specific substance for me. It's just like this thing of like having something in your hand, putting it in your mouth, chewing it, and swallowing. I think that's the physical part that I've isolated. So I, you know, I've really, you know, in step one, uh, you know, I've really admitted I'm, I'm just like powerless over that. I've had to like, you know, move into the other steps of like, what can I do about this? And, um, and basically ask like a higher power to like, let me end each meal. And, and so that's been a really important part of my recovery. Um, so what has been your experience with, with well, my, my experience is sort of different. Uh, there's some similarities, but mostly um, I early on realized that that um, I was addicted to certain substances, ingredients and in foods. Um, and that part of the doctor opi doctor's opinion that I that I got early on was, you know, about 
the physical craving, the allergy of the body, um, you know, that it's a manifestation of an allergy. And uh, I really got that. I mean, I read some other books on food addiction, and this is going back a long time ago. And, uh, and so uh, for me, uh, you know, I've uh, identified the substances, the ingredients, and everybody's, most people are unique. Uh, for myself, it is refined flour, refined sugar, um, salty, crunchy foods, um, fatty foods, and you put them all together, and I'm in food addict's heaven, you know, and there's a lot of products that have them all together. Uh, so I, I realized that early on, uh, but I didn't get the second part of the doctor's opinion, which we're going to talk about, which, which is really the bulk of the book, I guess, you know, the obsession of the mind. And uh, so I abstained from those foods, and I had absence for a while. I really did. But it didn't last. Uh, that's why I say I'm a relapse survivor. And you know, uh, I was at a workshop here a number of months ago, and Kim had a nicely put together sheet. Uh, I forget what the heading of it was, but it's a great sheet. If anybody's a newcomer, I would highly recommend filling out that sheet, which is to basically identify the food items and the ingredients in the food items, and do an honest food history with those items. Uh, and, and I always knew my food history. You know, I always knew that I'm, I'm a binge eater. Uh, so that means I eat a lot of food and get sick. To the point of getting sick, I stop for a little while, maybe burp a little bit, and then start all over again. And basically that, that was my history. But it was always these foods. My earliest memories are uh, binging on, at eight years old on slices of, can I mention food? Pizza. You know, it was a big treat for my father to bring home pizza and hoagies. And obviously, you're all from South Jersey, so you've heard the word hoagies, right? <laughs> uh, to bring them home for dinner on Saturday night so my mother wouldn't have to cook. And I don't even think he got the stuff out of the wrappings and I'm eating it and, and out of the box. And uh, I ate more slices than my father at eight years old and got sick and I would go into the bathroom. Uh, and I wasn't a bulimic in that sense, but I was so sick that I would have to throw up because I just felt so lousy. So I've known for a long time, you know, uh, I didn't know how it was expressed in, in this chapter, uh, and I don't know whether I expressed it this way, but, but I knew, looking back at my history, that I had an allergic reaction or a physical addiction to these foods and these ingredients, and, uh, and that was very helpful, but that's not the whole answer, I guess. And, and it's, you know, I find Stephen's uh, history really interesting. Uh, he has a little bit of that, but he also, ha he describes, he's always described to me um, the, uh, just the experience of eating. Is that, is that correct, Stephen? Your experience of well, eating yeah. has triggered you? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and I, um, I want to read this, and because I, I, I was thinking into uh, so this is um, bottom of X X V I I X X I X um, before I just um, go into what you what you were saying. So they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks drinks which they see others taking with impunity 
after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of esprit, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless the this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So, um, I just, I was just thinking about um, uh, this, the, effect of, the effect of food, and I, and I trace a lot back to this, um, to childhood, and um, I just, um, you know, this, there was the very, I definitely, as I, I just liked eating um, as a child, um, I was, uh, I felt like I was encouraged to eat as a child, um, um, and my my family had um, yeah we had really good. Um, you know, to me, it seems like like healthy kind of habits where you know we had meals. They had beginnings and ends, and we had three meals a day. We would you know we would go to school and work or whatever, but you know we'd eat together, and it was. Um, but I was always looking for a time, and I, I never wanted, I always wanted seconds and um, all that. And, but also the thing I think, I, this thing about um, like it, looking at what is the, um, you know, what is the sense of ease and comfort that comes. Um, and I really think it, like this time developed in my life where it was like, I think school for me was, um, you know, active but challenging and, um, and just this idea of like coming back home to like food was like really this place where that was like ease and comfort. I didn't have to be in the schoolroom and I didn't answer questions or anything. And boy, was that this time, you know, come home from school and I can eat. And I do think it really did um, like become, uh, you know, this is how I, this is, I experienced like ease and comfort by putting food in my mouth like when I had the chance and you know it's like a, another aspect was like being like alone alone you know it's like at school at the lunchroom or whatever it's like you're with other people they're watching you and this is like now I can just like be free of like anyone what you know in my I thought I was free of what anybody um, you know needed to know or think or anything and just like do what I wanted to do for ease and comfort and that was eating um, so uh, I don't know if that really goes into, um, but I I do feel like for me it's it's eating, um, not I was attracted to some like some things, but I feel like eating is um, you know, like sweet things. But I do feel like it's also a variety of eating. It's like I could go sweet to salty, sweet to salty, or you know you know crunchy to soft and things like that. As just like as I really focus for me on like this like I use that word of like. There's like a momentum to eating. That, um, uh, so I don't know. Do you have anything? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's it, it's. Uh, this is kind of a, an important paragraph for me too because um, I did go through that cycle, uh, and um, I didn't know about it when I was you know younger. Until I came in the program, I didn't know I was in that cycle where you know I get that obsession for the food. I'd go eat it, it would make me feel better about whatever was going on, and you know, it would basically make me sluggish, 
you know, it would really make me sluggish. And being sluggish would take away whatever negative feelings I was feeling. Uh, my mother was pretty much an alcoholic. My father was kind of perfectionistic. Uh, so anything that happened in the home, uh, I think that helped trigger the addiction. But uh, so the food, uh, you know, I would, I would have that craving. I'd eat it. I'd eat a lot of it, whatever it was. And then, uh, and then I'd feel remorseful. And this is as a young adult, mostly, because I, I, you know, I basically played a lot of basketball, so I wasn't really that heavy younger. Uh, and then uh, I feel remorseful. I make the pledge to myself, sometimes to others, that starting Monday, yeah. I am not going to do this anymore, where I'm going to limit whatever I'm eating. And, uh, and then I do it again. And then, you know, and it had to have affected my self-esteem, not that it was very high to begin with. Uh, and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't until um, I read this chapter and this paragraph that, that Stephen just referred to uh, that what I needed was, they call it a psychic change. It really is a psychic change. I had to change my personality. And uh, until I was able to do that, I kept repeating that cycle all the time. Um, that's, that's about all I have. I want to um, chime in that this word just really came out to me right now, like remorseful, you know, emerging remorseful. And I do, in my history with eating, um, that was one thing, um, is one thing. I really feel like the, um, the remorse was almost, I began to wonder, like, do I really want the comfort, uh, you know, of this food right now, or you know, do I really want just want? I know I'm going to feel bad about myself afterwards, and it's like, was that really what I'm attracted to? I wanted to, like, you know, actually use the food to reward myself because I know I could then really be in like a pity party, at, you know, and and so it just, I know, and I think that that's one of the things that um, coming to the rooms has been like so profound for me that all these things that were like these inner like feelings that were just going around and around, I feel like I can start to unpack them and like they, they don't have to go around and around because I'm ashamed of them. I can't talk about them with anybody. And so I'm really grateful for, um, you know, the rooms for like, you know, these books where they, we talk about like, you know, these cycles of remorse and all these really heavy things that we, when we go through them, really alone, you know, it's like, and we're powerless over them. It's like such a, it's just so awful. And I feel like it's such a, you know, it's such a relief. You know, I'm so grateful for, um, that we come together to like, how can we get out of these like cycles? Um, and then I think we should move to another chapter. Uh, <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> oh, so chapter one is Bill's story. Um, I. I'll go ahead then. Um, I, one thing I wanted to say about Bill's story is um, that it's, um, I, like, I think it's so great that um, AA and OA are like built on our stories. And it's these like, you know, people like they kind of write out or they speak, you know, their speaker meetings and everything, you know, they're just like their real experience, strength and hope, like we historically and we have built like this uh, culture where it's like really based on our, our these stories and that they're treated um, 
like you know we're encouraged to just be really true yeah it's like a truth seeking thing and then to share it and um and I, you know i had to i remember reading um something about like you know this article about like uh, therapy and how like like you, you have to own your story in order to be able to like like move it forward and I really see that just at that and I think it's really like very cool that it's like put it's like this is like where we begin this it's just like what is somebody's experience and we continue sharing our experiences um, so that just sort of this overview of that what you know how important the stories are and then he's like you know this one that we go back to because it's like the first chapter um, do you want to pick yeah, up I on mean, one of these quotes I, I, or? I, I think that is important to realize that it's through other people's stories just as Stephen said that that um, we we get the program uh, we you know we get it sitting in these rooms and listening to people share whether they're in relapse or not in relapse uh, or particularly at one point I started to listen to stories of people who were who had long-term relapse uh, long-term absence <laughs> not relapse uh, people who had long-term abstinence and thought to myself well, what what are they doing what, what are the specific things that they're doing on a daily basis to to maintain that abstinence and that's through their story um, and and I guess overall uh, Bill's story I look at it as um, really uh, the how he got to the point of believing he was powerless over alcohol and uh, also uh, the emphasis I see in this is the progressive nature of the disease uh, and that and this story clearly clearly outlines that um, you know because he talks about having stopped many times made a lot of sweet promises um, was he crazy he began to wonder uh, and uh, and also, in his story, in the beginning of it, it's like his ego. You know, this is a guy that, uh, for a while, was successful as a stockbroker. Uh, he even gone to law school. And uh, so he, and he had a big ego. He thought he was going to be like one of the titans of Wall Street. No, I, I never thought I was going to be a titan of anything. But, um, and so, you know, his ego made him think that he could do this by himself. He would always promise his wife that he, you know, he would stop this time. Um, and, and I would make those promises. And my ego, my ego was such that uh, it really kind of turned me into a compulsive overthinker, an analyzer, uh, which was not very helpful for being in program. You know, I always thought I could, over, I could if I thought about something enough, now of course by training I'm a, a lawyer, so, you know, it served me to some extent in my profession, but not in real life, in, you know, my personal life. But I always thought that if I could figure out the answer to this myself, if I thought enough about it, uh, or any problem. And what did that end up doing? Causing me to be a compulsive over-warrior. Because every time I always analyzed a situation, whether it was my eating addiction, food addiction, or any problem, relationship problems, I would start thinking about, okay, well, this is what I got to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. And then within a matter of minutes or hours, I would think up the negative aspect of that and analyze that, and then I'd be back to square one. So I never really had any peace of mind. I mean, I always kiddingly say, instead of peace of mind, I had peace of cake. 
Uh, and, and really, that's, that's really what I ended up doing. This, this overanalyzing and thinking made me into a compulsive warrior. So I walked around with fear all the time. I, I had trouble falling asleep at night before I started working this program because I was just up at night worrying about stuff. Uh, and that was not good. Um, and, and obviously, uh, he talks about um, the damage that alcoholism did to him. And, um, you know, I, I kiddingly say this, I've said this ad nauseum. People who go to the meetings I go to probably roll their eyes to hear this again, but, um, <laughs> you know, he could be pulled over for a DWI. Alcoholics get pulled over for DWIs. I've never had a cop pull me over for being under the influence of a Big Mac. It just, it just wouldn't happen. Unless I was juggling a Big Mac, a milkshake, the fries, the whole bit, uh, then I might start swerving and then they might pull me over. But the consequences still are, you know, to this disease are pretty uh, harsh. And I've had a lot of them. Um, I became a uh, insulin dependent diabetic, you know, where you have to give yourself needles. Uh, I had problems with my joints, so eventually I had to have a, knee, a hip replacement. Um, I, I, thank God I didn't have uh, cardiac problems, but I was on that path with high cholesterol and blood pressure. And uh, so that was the physical consequences. Uh, eventually that would have killed me. It really would have. Um, so, I mean, and, and you know, Bill, Bill was starting to have serious consequences too. I mean, I don't know what, I guess he was getting kind of the shakes, the delirium tremens. He was, you know, basically in pretty bad shape physically. So he says here, alcohol was his master? Yeah, food was my master. So. Um, I wanted to, to continue. Something about that Jeff had talked about um, Bill's story of the progression of the disease. Um, and one important part was that, you know, he went to, um, you know, he went to get treatment, and you know the doctors made it. You know, it's made it so that he felt like he was really clear. You know, this is it. I can never have alcohol again. You know, I really understand the problem now. Um, and then, you know, but, but you know, his understanding the problem um, didn't like it. Didn't give him the power to to like abstain. And um, I really. Uh, you know, I really relate to that, and I wanted to share a little bit about my experience of um, the progress of my disease. Is uh, just like to put a real overview is that I was very heavy when I was younger, <coughs> up to um, uh, like double my body weight now. So I was nearly, or I don't know, I was near 300 pounds. I didn't want to look at the scale at that point when it got over 290. So I don't know, but. Um, <coughs> And, um, you know, in my adult life, I did, you know, I was grateful to have developed a lot, and I did, um, I did uh, embrace, like, a lot of knowledge to, you know, about nutritious eating, I, organic gardening, and exercise, and I, um, I got to a, the, you know, the, the weight chart, um, healthy body weight, but um, the disease really progressed in my, uh, in my, um, mental relationship with food and um, so I do really feel like that idea that like our knowledge can only go so far in terms of um, 
of recovery from something you know that we, I believe we need, like a power greater than ours, a spiritual answer, because um, I really felt you know I was at the you know this I mean I felt like nice to look a certain way, but I felt like I was like a raging um, compulsive eater, like hiding in this body, and all my family and friends were just, you know, they were just like, Stephen, you're, you know, so, you know, we're so proud of you and everything, and it just drove the, like, the, the desire to compulsively eat, eat was like, had to be more and more masked and secret, and I think that was very, like, a very festering ground for it being, like, really spinning out of control um, to, of my emotional life. I was, you know, became much more obsessed with it all every day and weighing myself every day, being freaked out that, uh, you know, what if I gain another pound? You know, just this whole, you know, the scale became like a higher power. And that's, uh, that's one, another thing that I just feel like, oh, so grateful to come to OA because I came, um, you know, very much like thinking you know, how people look on the outside, and I came for, like, the sanity of, like, I, you know, I want to really be in fellowship with people from, like, who they are inside, because I feel like I know from, you know, the outer package, um, I mean, it can be part of the problem in a way of, like, I felt really insane, like, I was having voices in my head, like, you have to eat this now, and, you know, just these struggles that were going on that I kept such a, like, serene face on the outside, and I'm so healthy now. Um, so that was like, I, you know, that was, you know, I, how I described, like the progression of my disease. And I'm, yeah, you know, and for me, it's, it's important that I feel like I am, I really hit it so much um, that, that I have a place where I feel like it has, you know, hopefully, you know, I can share it, that that's my truth, and that, that I do believe that the mental obsession part is as much a part of the disease, and um, it really was, uh, it may have not put me as much risk for, um, you know, certain bodily health things, but, you know, mental health things, which also, you know, it's, it's all integrated anyway. I don't know how they were manifesting, but I was pretty, um, I was pretty uh, restless, irritable, and discontent, but having to look like I was just so together all the time, I think. Um, so, you know, Bill's story, should we Well, let me just say two, two quick things. Uh, this is just to chime in from sort of related to what Stephen just said. Uh, one of the motivations for me to come into OA or to, to really try and lose weight through OA, because it was a diet <clears throat> to some extent early on, uh, was the fact that I was single and I wanted to meet a woman. I wanted mm -hmm. to look good for a woman, you know, I'll be honest. Um, and... Uh, so that's, that's what, you know, that would work when I was younger, but it stopped working. It stopped working, you know, I'll lose weight. Uh, became harder and harder to diet. Um, and, and then the other point I'll make is, um, I, I find this story uh, interesting when it turns to the point where uh, his friend, Evie Thatcher, comes to see him in the kitchen of his house, sits down in the kitchen of his house, and wants him to drink with him. That was the sole purpose that he came over, I guess. To, you know, he wanted him to come over so he would be able to drink with him again. And uh, he didn't do it. And Bill, you know, Bill, who basically said he, was, he understood he was hopeless with regard to alcohol, um, essentially listened to him. He actually he got something out from what he was saying. And uh, I really do believe that he incorporated uh, 
at least parts of what Ebby was doing, which was service, you know, carrying the message and, and basically helping another alcoholic. I think that's the one main thing he got from that. Uh, and I have to tell you that I never did this kind of service that, that I, you know, for many years in program. I didn't sponsor people, uh, or if I did, it was very short-lived. Uh, and I, I, I really do believe there's, there's uh, God bless you, there is something about um, doing service. Uh, and again, I'm a compulsive analyzer, so I, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and figure it out, but I stopped trying to figure it out. I know it, it, there's some sort of power that comes into me when I help others, when I do service. And, um, and I, think, I think Bill did pick that up from his friend. So there is a solution. There is a solution. All right. Well, I'm going to pick up. I mean, we, it was so. It was fun. We, we went through the things and we said, what can we talk about? And of course, um, we could probably go on for like days with what we, what's in here. So I'm just picking this one, page 17, to like focus on, on this um, words. Uh, we are like pa the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. Um, so I guess I, I do really... Um, I. I, I think some of these uh, these like metaphors and stories, um, I'm really grateful to, um, I think have resigned my, um, as one of my character defects, you know, Jeff talks about like overanalyzing and I'm, I'm like, you know, can be really like, I'm over, like, I'm over cool and it's like, oh, this is too dramatic and you know, you know, <laughs> it's like, especially in terms of my disease of like, you know, I can, I can get in control of my eating. I don't need all this, like, I'm on the t Titanic and it's so dramatic and everything. But I think, you know, in terms of step one, I, it really is, um, as, uh, you know, it's so, it's so helpful for me to, like, keep it green and keep, like, a certain passion, like, green about, like, you know, and that's a lot of like these memories of like, you know, all oh, those ways I felt, you know, and sometimes I, you know, I start to feel like, you know, remorseful or like, you know, crummy about life and cynical or whatever, or frustrated with what, you know, my partner said, you know, all these things. But, um, you know, this is a place, you know, to really just think about this most basic thing that I have to do every day, eat to be nourished and just think how twisted it has been and can be and just like really, you know, and so, you know, I feel like I try to uh, really keep this sort of love affair through service, too, like with like, you know, you know, we come here to like be out of all that, you know, just that like misery, really, of compulsive eating. And, Bless you know, you. so really try to keep, you know, this, um, you know, just like, it's like, yeah, I have a life of, you know, I'm in this boat now, I'm not out there floundering by myself, half drowning, you know, 
and um, you know, let me get to, let me like keep it, you know, what can I do in the lifeboat? I, that's why I love coming back to meetings, seeing people, you know, work in the program every day. Um, so, you know, you got anything? Um, no, I, I, I think you said it very well. You know, in a way, there's the power of the fellowship that helps us. Um, because we are in, in a common peril. Um, I was looking at the paragraph. I guess I guess I can I guess I can read this. Um, he, th th this this chapter does talk quite a bit about the different time, types of alcoholics, uh, and um, you know you can you can compare it to different types of food addicts. Really, um, I mean, I have known some people that can have one cookie. Not a lot of people, but there are people who can have one cookie, and, and I admire them, uh, and I am jealous that they can have one cookie, uh, or one slice, or one scoop. I can't. Uh, there are some people who, you know, can actually go through periods of time where, uh, you know, they'll overeat, and, and they won't. Um, and then there are people like me, once I take that first bite of, of my binge foods, I'm done. Uh, and so this talks in terms of not only accepting that, you know, that we're addicts or compulsive overeaters, but it starts talking in terms of what the real problem is. And, and basically, uh, the big book on page 23 basically states, therefore the main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on the last bender, the chances are he will offer you any number, any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. Um, and, and I was that way with food. Uh, you know, the obsession of the mind, I mean, I could, I could be absent for a period of time and, and think I have it made. Uh, but if I really wasn't working the steps every day, uh, whatever was bothering me would start to build up. And if I didn't have that spiritual connection to a higher power, which does stop that compulsive worrying and compulsive thinking, then stuff would start to build up. Um, this is a program for serenity, in my opinion. Um, and so that obsession of the mind, uh, I have no control once I, once I started thinking of my binge foods. Uh, it was almost as if my car had a mind of its own. And once I had that thought of, you know, wouldn't it be nice to go into Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut, or go into Wawa and get this and that. I, I, my car, it was like it had a mind of its own, and I would just go do it. Or even at night, uh, when I would be most restless, and if I was watching TV by myself. And sometimes I still have to be careful with that. Um, then I, I would, that, that obsession would happen. And sometimes I would be able to white knuckle it, and sometimes it was uh, effort, real quickly. Sometimes it was like very quick. I got the thought, and if there was anything in my, my house, I'm doing it. And they would have to 
tie me in a straitjacket to stop it. Or the house had to catch on fire to distract me that much. But I would, I would go do it. So that obsession for me was really, really strong. And uh, it did not go away. I have to honestly say this. It did not go away until I started working the steps on a daily basis. I'm not going to explain why I think that works. I could, but I'm not going to. Um, so... So this, this part of the, the chapter to me is, is the, this, the key part, uh, dealing with the obsession of the mind. Because it is independent of the physical addiction to me. It really is. Um, so. Um, I'm, I, um, there is this other chapter more about alcoholism. And I do think that um, it's, I, I, I mean, I, I, in some ways, I feel like when I think about this chapter, I always that's my one. Of, that's my favorite chapter. Uh, it has these different. I think it really um, has a lot of um, um, stories and examples of like the kind of um, phenomenon of the mind, uh, and sort of lays them out. Um, we ha we picked out a bunch of things. Uh, one thing um, uh, that. Jeff was saying was um, I just I'm just going to talk about what he reminded me of um, before like in the kind of few months period before I uh, I came to OA um, I had I worked for many years at this uh, a food store food co-op and um, I was on the clo like the closing shift. And um, I was very discontent at this job. I felt like I sh should be doing a more, I, I uh, was on the deli staff. I felt like I should be, you know, I, but I was supposed to be like, have this brilliant career in something, you know, I don't know, or be this special person that was super creative and everything. And, and I just felt like, oh, now I'm just like, you know, I just really, uh, you know, such a failure. I'm working at this job and I was very discontent and there was food all around, of course. And, um, I just, um, I did the powerlessness really came out at the job in this time when I was very discontent, where I was, I really like had sort of moderate like control at the job, and I really, it really crumbled, and I started like finding the secret places I could eat food and, you know, things like that. And um, I'm not sure exactly why I'm getting into this story, but it came to me. and. Um, I felt like I was developing, and this was the prog progression of my disease, into like, like something that I think the uh, analytical therapist might call like an OCD, where I felt like when I left the building, um, I felt like I couldn't go through the door unless there was um, treat foods in my mouth. And I was stealing the treat foods that I already felt like guilty about that, you know, and just this whole thing of like, uh, you know, I'm a failure, I'm guilty, I have this food in my mouth, and I really felt like I couldn't, like, turn the doorknob unless I had the stuff in my mouth. And, um, anyway, and that's, that's just a story that came up. So I want to uh, kind of focus on something about that chapter while we still have ten minutes left, more about alcoholism. Um, well, let's pick one Fred's of story. You want to start with Fred's story? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm sure. Um, 
trying to see if I can summarize it. This, this is just a, a person who obviously was an alcoholic and he was in a hotel. And uh, again, this is sort of like what I was saying about my food addiction or the obsession I would get. He was walking through the dining room and the thought came to his mind, well, wouldn't a, wouldn't a, a cocktail be nice with dinner? And, uh, you know, as an alcoholic, he should have said to himself, well, no, I'm an alcoholic. If I have one cocktail, I'm done. Now, it's a little easier for a food act to say, well, maybe I can have just one of this if you're not really um, aware of what's going on. But so this guy said, well, maybe I can have a, a cocktail for dinner or even a couple of cocktails for dinner. And then um, he ate his meal. He ordered another cocktail. Uh, then he decided to go for a walk. And then he decided, well, maybe I can have a highball. And you can see how this all progresses because of that first drink. And honestly, I, I, I would be the same way. One of any of my binge foods, and I couldn't stop. Because that, you know, what this, I think, chapter is also emphasizing is that that um, mental twist is what really kind of causes him to think he can get away with it. I mean, I was kind of an easier, softer kind of guy, way kind of guy. And, and you know, I, I took, uh, I was a history major in school. And I would take courses like the history of the United States through movies, <laughs> right? And you'd write a paper. Yeah, it was easy enough course. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I always looked for the easier, softer way. And um, really wasn't any easier, softer way. Because once I started to eat, I couldn't stop. And, and that's sort of his, this guy's story. And then he, he's like, oh, how did this happen? Like, how did this happen? Well, you're an alcoholic. That's how it happened. Or I'm a food addict. That's how it happened. Uh, and, and for me, I got to the point where I, I made no fight whatsoever to stop. I just figured, well, I've done it. That's the way it goes. Um, you know, maybe tomorrow. Um, so, uh, and, and I used to, you know, it's just a quick food story. Um, when I was in college, I had a really good job. Uh, during the summers, working in an A.M.P. delicatessen warehouse, <laughs> it was a great job. It was in Florence, and uh, I don't think that place exists anymore. And I came in on the cleanup crew. I'm a 19-year-old food addict, and I'm coming in on the cleanup crew, <laughs> where nobody is really around. And we had we had these huge hoses because we would clean up the machines, and my responsibility was to clean up the uh, potato slicing machine and the trays they would use to make the potato salad and the parfait machine. Now that was the highlight of my evening, to clean up the parfait machine. Because half of my cleanup was eating whatever was in there. Uh, but it was also like a bonanza for a food addict because it, like a whole bunch of young guys, mostly, who uh, had a lot of time on their hands. We could do our jobs like really quickly. We had have hose fights. We would be roaming around. Uh, and we would go into this huge refrigerated storage room that had all, not only delicatessen foods, but all the desserts that they would supply A&P uh, with. And if, if a crate happened to fall on the ground, 
well, you know, that was, it was open territory. Uh, so, you know, they had challah, they had, you know, all these cakes, and, um, and basically we were stealing. I wasn't the one knocking over the crates, but I participated in the eating of the crates. And, uh, and that, uh, that was my best job up to that point, I have to say. Um, I haven't had any other food jobs, but that was my best food job, so whatever that means. All right, should we finish up with this last part? Okay. Um, yeah, we like the, uh, well, let me, let's read the last two quotes that we had. Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and, I hope, more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would not go back to it even if I could. And then, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Well, um, you know, we, my understanding of this format was like to focus on step one, and I feel like, um, you know, like looking to like what is, is more, a little like kind of step two and then turning to step three, you know, well, there, if, as step one is really like, let me recognize the problem is my powerlessness. Um, but I do feel that um, the steps are just this very like beautiful, natural thing where it's like, well, that sort of like then what already is like, if you're powerless th and that's the problem, then what, then, then what? And, you know, and it's actually, to me, it's like very natural. It's like, oh yeah, I guess, what is the power? It's, and, and I think it's very profound that the, it's like, Part of this admitting we're powerless is you knowing like that power is not going to come from me again. You know, I'm not going to just like start another diet, another period of like good behavior, control, whatever you call it. Um, this I'm going to look for something like you know I need help. <laughs> That's like was I definitely when I came to OA, that was like what I came with. It's like I need help. I don't know <laughs> and I you know I don't know what. And so I think just the act of coming for me was like recognition is like there's got to be some help out there I, I really want it anyway I don't know if it's out there but I, I you know I've come to believe that it is I feel like I really got it in the rooms um, so um, I don't know that thanks for letting me share about that thanks for sharing <laughs> I, I'll, I'll conclude uh, with with something very similar um, it, this says um, spiritual answer in a program of action is really uh, the solution uh, and, and believing in a higher power. So it reached the point where I, I was not believing in my own thinking power, my own willpower, and uh, it took me a really long time to believe in the program and a higher power. I mean, I came into the program agnostic. But what I like about these, at least the last two chapters, it does tell you what the solution is. Now, I want it more in black and white. You have to do X, Y, and Z. Every day you have to do this, and this is what's going to get you connected to a higher power. Um, 
And I do certain things every day. Mostly steps 10, 11, and 12 now because I've gone through you know, all this many times. And I do go back and do a fourth step and a fifth step and, and nine. Um, but in order for me to stay spiritually connected, I have to do the prayer and meditation every day. And being someone who has some attentional problems, that's not easy. Uh, I have to do the writing and journaling. and I write Dear God letters. Uh, and I didn't make that up myself. I, I know some people in the rooms that have been doing that for years. And that helps me get connected to my higher power. Um, the service part of it, again, I, I can't overemphasize service, but the service part makes me feel better about myself. See, now I'm psychoanalyzing myself. Uh, and... Uh, and it makes me more connected to a higher power. Um, so it's got to come from a power outside myself. And that's, I think, what this book is all about. I mean, these chapters, you can get bogged down in, in the stories about you know, people uh, drinking and the sudden urge to drink and, and the step one stuff. But in reality, um, the person coming in has to understand there is a solution. And this is what the solution is. Um, and the solution is a spiritual solution. Spiritual principles. You know, the, the first step is to be honest with the food, that you're, you know, you're powerless, your life is unmanageable. Uh, the second step is a hope step, and the third step is a faith step. The faith step is really kind of what does it for a lot of people, because then you stop, I stopped, trying to control this myself. And, uh, you know, initially my higher power was the program and the people in the rooms, um, because I was very agnostic. But then it became something else. Uh, so it works if you work it. That's how I'll end. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thanks.